All right, so we're going to be taking a break from uh, the book of Acts, um, at least for now. I don't know how long. I don't really know what that's going to look like because I don't make the rules. Jesus does, and I'm thankful for that, huh? By the way, that first song we sang is called Highest Praises by Amanda Cooks, and it's amazing. You should listen to it. Um, I butchered it because this is the first time I ever played it, but Jason is probably going to play it next time he leads worship, and so it'll be amazing. He, 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 yeah, well, you know, I was trying to bless him, but, uh, you know, the spirit of accusation, you know, comes, comes strong. No, no, but uh, it is a good song, and I encourage you to look it up on your own. But tonight, the reason, in case you, in case you didn't notice, there, there was what should have been a pretty clear theme in the songs we just sang. Um, the first song being called highest praises, the second song being called praises, and the third song being called thank you. And um, you might think that means we're going to talk tonight about giving thanks. And in a, in, in a sense, yes, but um, it's going to be more than that. And so tonight what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about what does it look like to live a life where our actions, our words, our desires, right, our quote-unquote worship time, where all these things are truly spiritual sacrifices pleasing to God. What does it look like to live a life in which we do everything in the power that God supplies for us? And is that even something that that is part of our life, or is, even, it's a, is that even something we should be aware of, or do we kind of just, as Christians, it just happens, right? So that's kind of what we're going to be looking at tonight. Um, but I want to start by reading through 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to read through verses 1 down through verse 10. And it says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. As newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word, to whom which they were also appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Amen. So I want to go back, and I want to, I, I had to stop myself earlier. Normally, what I do is I read through a passage, and I pray, and then I go back, and I write out a sermon, and I get my outline, you know, just, just to keep me on track, you know what I mean? So I don't get lost on rabbit trails, but this, I started doing that, and I was writing a whole sermon for the first couple of verses, and it's not even what I was going to talk about. So I had to step away <laughs> and just, you know, I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit do his work. But I do want to make a point of what he says here. He starts, before we get into anything about a spiritual sacrifice, before we get into anything about um, proper worship before the Lord, look at this. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word. Do you know what malice, what malice is? Bad? Yeah, mal- well, it's bad. Malice is one of those words that we all know, we all read, and none of us really know what it means half the time, okay? So I looked, I, I looked this up a while back because I didn't, wasn't really sure I knew what it meant. And malice is really anything you do with ill intent. Anything. Anything. Right? If you say God bless to somebody, but the only reason you do it is because you know it's going to tick them off, because they hate Jesus, that's malice. Right? If you say something encouraging, quote-unquote, but you're only doing it to, po- to poke at somebody, that's malice. Right? If you do something intentionally to cause an issue or harm to somebody else, that's malice. So yes, it can be a big thing. You know, the, the Jews, uh, um, as they were trying to kill Paul, and as they were trying to kill Jesus, and as they were setting up this, these traps for him, that was all malice, but it doesn't have to be these huge things. The simple things of our heart and our words, when done with a wrong intention, it can become malice, right? Malicious, okay, is the word. Malicious. And before, before we get into anything, he says, look, lay aside all your malicious ways. Lay aside all your deceit. We so often, even in the church, it's, you know, people who have been born again and saved by the living God, they think, oh, as long as, you know, well, I, I said this and I really meant that. Or I said this because it sounds good, but the truth is really something else, and that's okay because we're not, quote, unquote, lying. We're not, you know, telling a, 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 a bold-faced lie, but where, where do we want to draw the line at being deceitful? Some of us are, de- are deceitful with ourselves. Hey, that's not where I'm at. Pages. I must be breathing too hard. My pages are flipping. Um, lay aside all malice. Lay aside all deceit. Lay aside all hypocrisy. Do you know what, where the word hypocrisy comes from? Do you know what the, the, the Greek word is that we get that? It means actor. It means actor. A lot of people, we think, oh, well, you know, this, you know he, Pastor Darren, he says you need to be really kind, but one time I saw him being kind of rude, so he's a hypocrite. 
Or, you know, those Christians, they say all these things, but they mess up still, so they're hypocrites. No, 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 that's really not hypocrisy unless you make it a practice. Hypocrisy is when I tell you about how holy I am and I put on a front and I pray loud and I sing loud and I do all these things in my heart, I'm somewhere else. In my secret life where nobody's watching, I don't worship God. I don't spend time in his word. Or I come to, when you come to church twice a week, three times a week, you do your Bible plan and you walk past the hungry and the homeless. And when people ask you for help, you don't give it. That's hypocrisy because it's putting on an act. It's when you hold up religious standards, but then you don't live them out. That's hypocrisy. It's putting on an act. It's when you, you come into a congregation, you come into a, uh, to a people, and you put on a show about how great your life is, and, and really it's falling apart. Even that is hypocrisy, because it's an act. Put away envy in all evil speaking. But as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So that's what I want us to do tonight. I want us, first of all, to <laughs> obviously to consider some of these things because we, we come in and we talk about integrity and we talk about passion before the Lord and we talk about loving one another and putting aside the, the, the things of the flesh. But in all reality, Sometimes we come in and we were doing all of these things before we came and we go back to doing them all again after we leave. And that's hypocrisy. But as newborn babes, when I read that, you know what, what the idea or the impression that I got, at least just in the moment as I was reading it, as newborn babes, being when, when you're born into the world, you're fresh, you're new, there ain't nothing on you, right? You're not clothed, right? You're in full humility. You don't get any, you don't get any lower or weaker than a newborn baby. You got, you just, you're out there naked, dog, right? You exposed. You're ignorant. You're unlearned, right? You're not wise. You're not great. You have no renown, unless you're baby Jesus. He was pretty good right off the start. And I think before we go any farther reading anything you're talking about, anything tonight, we need, to, we need to come to the Lord tonight as newborn babes, being born again tonight, T unclothing yourself in, in whatever you think you are, whatever the flesh has had a hold on you, and let's just look at ourselves as we should before the Lord, having no wisdom, no power to do anything other than what he's given us, Right? Let's just cleanse our minds for a second, and let's start fresh. Now, as newborn babes, let's consider what he's telling us here in verses 4 through 6. He says, coming to him, coming to Jesus Christ as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen to God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual 
house. So what is he talking about here? Well, first of all, this living stone is Jesus Christ, right? It, it gives us a scripture later on. talks about Jesus being the chief cornerstone, that he's elect and he's, he's precious. And of course, we know from the scriptures that Jesus is the cornerstone that the men rejected. That in all things, he was despised, he was hated, he was beaten, he was murdered, right? God's own people who should have been eagerly waiting for him rejected him. Yet, because his heart was pure before his father, he was well accepted and glorified. And so he has become this, this measuring block. That's really, any time you hear the word cornerstone, well, what you really need to think of is, is a measuring tool, right? And you've probably heard this by a thousand different pastors, right? But when they were building a structure, they would lay out the foundation, and then they would take one stone, and they would search, and they would look at them all, and they would find a stone that was perfect, right? You want a perfect 90-degree angle or whatever it was. You want flat edges, okay, no defect, and you would set that as the corner, and then every single stone would be lined up perfectly with that cornerstone, and every single stone would be put in place according to that one measurement, because they didn't have DeWalt, right? You didn't have 30-foot, 30, 30 you know, tapes and levels and, and all that fun stuff, and so we're coming to Christ as this perfect measurement, as this one thing in which he is building up the entire kingdom of God, which you are being called a part of. And as living stones ourselves, we are being built up as a spiritual house for the Lord. Now, in the Old Testament, this is why this gets important, because in the Old Testament, they would have the temple, right? Or in the wilderness, you know, they had, th yeah, the tabernacle, and they had a whole, it wasn't quite a stone structure, but they had more or less a temple. And this was what was to be the dwelling place of God. If you wanted to go and you wanted to have an encounter with the living God, you wanted to go and be face-to-face -face with the Spirit, if you wanted to worship, if you wanted to sacrifice, if you wanted to be pleasing to the Lord, you would go to the temple. Now, when Christ died on the cross and he yelled out to Telestai, it is finished. There was a veil, really a, a really thick curtain, let's just say, right, between the holy and the most holy place. And when he cried out, it was teared, uh, torn in two, right down the middle. And that was the symbolism of his barrier between us and God that we've always had. This barrier between the relationship that we should have with him was done away with. And there is now no separation between man and God because through Jesus Christ, we can be one with the Father. So there's no longer a temple, right? There's no single place of worship, but God has made us his temple. The problem with this idea is, is when we talk about being temples of God, who, let me ask you this, when, when you hear someone say, you know, we're the, temp we're, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Almost every single time that's stated, the pastor is saying, you are, you are, 
You are you as an individual. You are the temple of God. This is his nice little teepee. God dwells in you, and you're good. And this is true, okay? But what we fail to emphasize, why can I not talk tonight? What we fail to emphasize, and I say we because I, I do it too, is that we're just stones. Yes, God resides in us. Yes, this is a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. But God is building up a temple, and it is his church body as a whole, and we are simply stones being placed together. And because we are living stones being placed together, we are constantly being measured a corner to the chief cornerstone. And we need to be put in line and in perfect position according to that stone because of this, not just for our own sakes, but you are being built upon someone else. And the work that God has done in someone else's life just as other people in this building are going to be living stones stacked and built upon you in your life. And so this whole, this whole humanist gospel that everything about is about you and God sees you and he loves you, is, while it's true, it's only part of the picture, right? Because it's you plus everybody else that's been called. And so we're all supposed to be our parts interlaced and bonded together to create this dwelling place of God where people can come to us and feel his presence, who can hear his word and can understand how to offer a sacrifice pleasing to the Lord. And yet being in this privileged position, this chosen position, many times we fail to take benefit of that ourselves. He says that we are living stones being built up as a spiritual house. And then he says, and also we are a holy priesthood. So we're not just being built into the temple. We're also the workers there. Again, going back to the Old Testament, in the temple, there were, there were priests, right? And you had to be of a specific bloodline chosen by God, right? You couldn't just make yourself a priest. You couldn't go to seminary and, be, and just decide to, you know, I'm going be, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to become a Levitical priest. And they would have a time frame where they would go and they would serve, and they would be the one that stood before the Lord on your behalf. And they would offer sacrifices, and they would perform the rituals, and they would do these acts of worship. But first and foremost, they had to cleanse themselves and sanctify themselves before they went. So now not only are we being built up to God's temple, we're also being put in the position as the priests of a new covenant. A new covenant. Not one where we have to, you know, slaughter bulls and chickens and get all voodoo on people, but one where the sacrifice is already paid, yet we still have the opportunity, we still have the, the um, what's the word, obligation to be ministers of that covenant. Because as the Holy Spirit starts to work on people's lives, they don't know how to come to God. They don't understand the things of the Spirit. They don't understand what the work of Christ has really done. And so we get to be the ones that bring people into this house of God and administer and declare the grace of Jesus Christ into their life. 
that introduce them to the one living God so they can be sprinkled by his blood, filled with his spirit. And we also get to be the ones that sacrifice, in, in a sense, and minister to one another. All of us as a royal priesthood. It's not, you know, I teach and y'all listen and we all go home. No, we're supposed to be all ministers of a new covenant together. Administering grace and mercy. Declaring salvation. Offering spiritual sacrifices. And so he says that we're being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And this right here is really what I want to get to. What does it mean to offer a spiritual sacrifice? Are we offering any? Is it your intention tonight to come to offer something to God that would be well-pleasing? And this is something that I, I, I had to stop and I had to consider. It's crazy, I swear, there's a verse in here that I cannot find, but according to every search I've done, apparently I was just, in my head, I had it wrong, or God just gave me a sentence or whatever, because all of this stemmed out of this one phrase, to do all things in the power that the, that the Spirit provides. All things. And now there's some verses that say things just along those lines. But I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about offering spiritual sacrifice, and I had to stop, and I had to say, how much of my time am I really focused? Am I really intentional, consciously providing something and saying, Lord, this is my act of worship to you. This is my offering of thanksgiving to you. This is my sacrifice of all that I have to you. Not that I have to be justified or can be justified by it, but because I'm justified in you, I give. You know, in the Old Testament, there were sacrifices for sin and defilement and all these things. And there are also things called free will offerings. Free will offerings, and it's exactly what it sounds like. That just because of your devotion, just because of your thankfulness, because of the increase of your life, the good things God had done for you, you could go and you could give a sacrifice just out of thanksgiving, just out of your free will to honor the Lord. And in the New Covenant, I think our lives... Every day of your life, every word that comes out of your mouth, every action and good deed should be a free will offering to God. If we go over to chapter 4 in 1 Peter, starting in verse 7, Peter writes this, he says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be his, uh, hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, 
minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now here's the key, verse 11. If any one of you speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any one of you ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And I think the ESV says, if anybody serves, let him serve with the power that God supplies or something like that. They use the word serve. But I, I really like that. And I was asking myself, when I'm preaching, when I'm setting aside time to, to minister, when someone calls me on the phone, when I'm going out, um, when I'm just at home trying to be a husband, when I'm at home trying to be a father, how much of this effort and energy is spent out of a power that God is providing for me? And how much of it am I really just walking in myself? You see, we talk about walking in the Spirit. We talk about not walking in the flesh, and there's kind of, oh, here's the, the real bad side over here and the real good side, and if you're walking in the flesh, you're doing all these horrible things. But in reality, how easy is it for me to go through my day and not stop and ask God to help me? How easy is it for me to show up to church, you know, stand up and sing the hymns, sit down, listen to the message, say, yeah, I understand that, yeah, okay, I know that, and go home? How easy is it to, to put some money in a box, write a check, say, I gave my time? See, you can do all of those things. You can come here every Wednesday and hear a sermon and have no offering, no sacrifice to give the Lord. You can come here every week and put a tithe offering in that box or in our little basket, which this isn't really a tithe basket, but, you know, and not have given anything as a spiritual sacrifice. You can stand up and sing every song in perfect key and not have offered anything to God. Some people sing because they like singing. Right? And so... The question is, is where is my heart and where is my intention in these things? What I want us to do is I want us to try to capture a different mindset. I want us to, to begin to look at things differently. Where we look at our lives, we look at our relationships, we look at these things that we're doing, and we start to, to separate what is an offering? What is a sacrifice? What is a, 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 a giving of myself to the Lord? And what is an act? What is an act? Because there were many, 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 the, the majority of the Jews in the wilderness who, who gave the sacrifices and celebrated the holidays, and yet grumbling in the wilderness, God was not well pleased with them. Because where was the sacrifice of their spirit? And so I, I have a couple of scriptures here. I want to read through real quick. Psalm 107.22 says this. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. 
Psalm 4, 5 says, Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. Proverbs 21, 3 says, To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than these uh, you know, legal sacrifices. Psalm 54, 6 says, I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. And that right there, you know, the Bible talks about offering the sacrifice of praise. The sacrifice, the fruit of your lips. When's the last time you've really considered it that way? I mean, really, when's the last time you've really considered, I am going to right here in my living room, in my car, out in the field, not at church, I am going to offer to God a sacrifice from my lips. Where I'm just going to praise him and I'm just going to tell him how great he is and I'm going to declare his good works just as a sacrifice. Because David was very concerned with that. He writes about it nonstop in the Psalms. Right? Even in the New Testament, we're, we're told to pray without ceasing and to encourage another, you know, and to, to lift up psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and to offer a thanks, you know, a sacrifice of thanksgiving. When we come to worship, do we, do we consider that what part of a program? Or is this an opportunity where we are setting aside time to offer a sacrifice to God, a free will offering? In our life, as, as we love others, I think one of our... One of our um, one of our struggles as Christians is being reminded in a real way that our lives are not about us. Or, or being reminded in a real way that Jesus' entire life was a sacrifice given, not just on the cross, but in every town and every city. He gave up his own renown. We think, oh, Jesus, he was the most famous and, you know, all these things. Well, yes, he was, but at the same time in that day and age, not all the popularity he was getting was good for him. It put him on the cross. He was being defamed. He was sacrificing his honor and his name to people who were blaspheming it. He didn't revile in return. Right? He went from day to night preaching and declaring the word and being wearied by the crowds. Right? Going through times of fasting. Not for his own sake. Not so he could feel a tingly feeling between him and the Father, but for others. So that when he ministered, he could, and when he loved, he could love and minister in power. And in the power that God was supplying through these times of, of, of uh, prayer and fasting before the Lord. And in 1 John 2, 5-6, it says, But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And by this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in Christ ought himself to walk just as he walked. Just as he walked. And I think if we're not concerned not just to know the word, but to walk as Jesus walked. 
and to offer our, ourselves, our bodies, our lives, our times, our emotion as a sacrifice for others, just as Jesus did. How can we say that the love of God is in us? If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies. I want to just go back to that. I want you, I don't, you know, I don't know what, what the circumstances or situations are of your life, but I want you just for a moment, think about, think about your family. Think about your job. Think about the conversations you're having. Think about, is there anywhere in your week where you serve anybody or anything other than yourself? And I don't mean that sound that in like as assuming you don't. I'm just saying, I don't know. Think, where if is there? If there's not, that's a different issue. Now, those things, those relationships, how are you managing those? Are you sharing the word with other people? Is there an inspiration there? Or do you just happen to know the scriptures better than they do? Which, hey, it, praise God, if, I mean, if, it, if it comes from that, it's better than nothing, right? There are some times where I speak the word just because, hey, I know the word and they have a question. That's great. You know, now they have an answer. But are we consciously concerned? Are we seeking God to give us the, about, the ability to love our families? Are we seeking God to help us lay aside our envy, lay aside our evil speaking, lay aside our malice so we can love the body? Are we seeking God to give us the power in which we, don't <laughs> we can walk through this life without worry and we can lay down our lives for others? Or are we still concerned with what we're going to receive? Because we have been made a, a holy, a sanctified people. You have already, God has looked at you and he has set you apart from this world. If your life, if all you have considered so far is where is my next career, where is my next, how am I going to live, what am I going to get? Stop. Do you need a home? Yes. Do you need a job? Yes. But you have been set apart from this world for the glory of God. To, in the midst of all those things, minister the new covenant. When is the last time that that has been your mindset? What is it that you are intentionally offering to God as a spiritual sacrifice? When you give your tithe, is there a prayerful heart behind that saying, Lord, thank you for what you've given me. Here's the first fruits. Is there a trust where you say, Lord, I don't even have enough to pay my bills, but Lord, this is yours and I'm going to honor you. When we come to pray, are we preparing ourselves in our hearts before we even get here so that when we sing, or even if you don't sing, we're in your heart, you're lifting up the name of Jesus and, and the words on the, screen are, on the screen are just helping you to exalt him. Verse 9 says, because you are but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
his own special people. And God has given you all of these things. God has set you apart. He's building you up into his temple, and he's bringing you to him as one to, to give spiritual sacrifices so that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I think sometimes we, for, we forget. You know, to us, this whole Jew and Gentile thing, we don't really think about it that much. Even the Jews probably don't think about it this much. Jews weren't Jews until God made them Jews. Let me specify. When Abraham was called, there were no Jews. He was from Ur of the Chaldeans. Abraham, the father of all Jews, was a Gentile. Go figure. And God, God set him apart and gave him a purpose and gave him a destiny, which isn't a very Christian word, but it's the fact. He gave him something that he himself would fulfill, and he gave Abraham and, and his descendants of the promised seed, an everlasting promise, and he's given it to us. Have we forgotten that? Isn't that worthy of our thanksgiving? Isn't that worthy of us just having a heart just to praise and just to sacrifice just because God is good? And he's called us, he's called us out of darkness into a marvelous light. And we were in a place where at one time we would have not obtained mercy. If we would have been left without Christ, if we would have never been given the Holy Spirit, we would have gotten perfect, unrestrained justice from God. And that would have required of you an eternal payment of your soul in a lake of fire. And yet Jesus Christ came, came to give us mercy, and we have now obtained mercy and grace and provision, even in our weakness. Isn't that enough for us to have a heart to give a free will offering to God? I want to encourage you all to, as you've been thinking about these things and as you go home tonight, to consider what are you going to do tomorrow when you wake up? What are you going to do tomorrow while you're at work? What are you going to be thinking about? What are you going to do Friday night, for those of you who don't go to home church? What are you going to do with your Friday night? Where in your day, where in your time are you going to give God the glory that he deserves? Because every breath in your lungs is a gift. I want to encourage you just to join me. For one, I'm reading through the Bible in a year. I already stated that. Please join me with that, just seeking the Lord and his word. But I want you to join me in, in making the point, not in the morning, it's too late. When you wake up, you're not thinking about it. You're going for coffee and Facebook. Don't lie, okay? To make it a point tonight, to set your alarm tonight, to make the decision tonight that when you wake up, yeah, go ahead and get your coffee, right? but that you're going to start by giving honor and praise to God. And when you get to work and there's that one person that you don't really even like, and that's always a jerk, and you see them, you're going to start by giving honor and thanks to God for that relationship, 
for your job, for your children. Then when you open your Bible app, you're going to stop and give honor and thanks to God that you have a Bible app. Not there are Christians all around the world who have never even seen a Bible or an app or a phone for an app to be on with the Bible in it. And I've encouraged this before, and I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to encourage you with it again to make a decision tonight that when you get in your car and you start driving to wherever you're going, the first thing you're going to do as you start driving is turn off your radio and start thanking God. Everything you see, the sky, the trees, your clothes, the warm air, because it's going to be cold probably. And consider, what are you living your life for? And where are you giving your honor? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for um, this night, Lord. I thank you for your people. Lord, I thank you for a church body that loves you dearly. I thank you for a, a congregation of people that um, knows they're loved by you and who, and who even when we as a whole um, are confronted where areas where we're weak or where maybe we've just missed it, <laughs> you know, we know that you're gracious and we know that um, we're still walking in your love. And, and I thank you for these people who have a desire to change, Lord, just as I do. And Father God, I don't want us to remain complacent, Lord. There are people out there lost and dying that we're not reaching. Lord, I don't want us to, to remain unfruitful, Father God, because the basic commands of Scripture we're not obeying. Lord, so I want to ask that you would forgive me and you would forgive um, all of us tonight. And you would just reveal to us um, how we need to let you work in our hearts, Father. And so, Lord, we just thank you and we honor you, Lord. And we're just offering this prayer just as, a, as an offering, Father God, as a sacrifice of our lips to you right now because you're good. And every word, every, every word of grace and glory and dominion given to your name, Jesus, is true. We declare it. So we thank you. Amen.